Forgotten History is presented by State Farm. Getting great car or home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? Well, that's just like talking the biggest names in NFL history and hearing their untold stories. It's the real deal. So choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know, here on the East Coast and really across the country, McDonald's isn't just a global restaurant, it's a local one as well. Just like how the guests on this show aren't just major Hall of Fame athletes, they're stars and celebrities, but people that work inside each of their communities. McDonald's are owned and operated by people who live in those communities. And when you eat at McDonald's, you're actually supporting American businesses, maybe even your neighbor's business. The McDonald's franchises also care about the communities that they live and work in. They give back by helping first responders and, of course, supporting local Ronald McDonald charity chapters. When you own a McDonald's, you are committed to serving the community where you do business. McDonald's, serving here. You came in the same way and you went out the same way, my boy. And, and, and that is, that is freaking money. Hey everybody, Trey Wingo back with you for another episode of Half Forgotten History. Norv Turner, when he was the Cowboys offensive coordinator, had a simple phrase. We're gonna give him a heavy dose of 22. Until they can stop Emmett Smith, we're gonna keep feeding him. And we had so much information and fun with Emmett. The first time around, we couldn't leave it at one episode. So my maker's mark is full, and let's get back to hearing more from Emmett Smith. Cheers to you, my friend. Got a full glass of Maker's Mark because I want to hear some of these great stories again. You said something that's really interesting because now people talk about being on the cover of the Madden video game as a jinx. But back in the day, in the 90s and in the 80s, people looked at the Sports Illustrated cover as being a jinx. And you found out you were going to be on the cover right before Super Bowl 28. Yeah. That same old night I was going into uh, the Hard Rock Cafe for for party at MJ and and Magic J, they all walking on West Lane. That night before we got to the actual party, I'm riding in the car with my uh, marketing manager, Warner Scott and Larry London. And they got this exciting news they want to share. And I'm like, okay, cool. What's going on? What's happening? I'm thinking about to get another endorsement or something like that. They're like, no, I guess we're going to be on the, on the cover of the Sports Illustrated this week. I said, who? Thurman Thomas? Jim Kelly? Irving? Troy? No, they said, no, you. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, why me? I mean, like, don't y'all know that this is the Sports Illustrated Jinx, the team that goes on the cover of the Illustrated before the week that they play, they generally lose? I'm like, how you going to get me on the cover during the week of the Super Bowl? And, and I'm just going, I said, y'all got to get me off. There's nothing we can do. It's rolling out first thing in the morning. They're all excited and happy. See, this is how marketing people think. They don't think about the psyche of the player. They think they're doing a great job. And here I am like, no, this is bad. You guys haven't done your homework. This is so bad. And my marketing guy, Warner Scott, turned to me and said, man, I suggest you change your attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did that work? And I looked at him and I said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to beat the jinx this week. I'm going to beat the jinx. So imagine going down at halftime, 13 to 6 to Buffalo. And you ain't got nothing going I'm thinking about the jinx. I'm thinking about how we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden, North Turner them come and tell me, we're going to get you the football in your hands. And I see my my linemen jumping up and down, all the excitement going on. I'm like, yeah, it's time now. It's time. And then we get that one big drive. Yep. I'm like, yeah, that jinx is gone. It's gone. <laughs> Emmett Smith beat the Bills and the jinx all in one and game. You got to break that jinx. You got to believe something bigger than yourself. 
And I believe that we were there for a reason, and our reason was to win. And you did, and you went on to win the first team ever to win three in four years, 27, 28, and Super Bowl 30. And it's so hard to repeat because in the last 40 years, only two teams have done it, you guys and the Patriots in Super Bowls 38 and 39. So you guys were on top of the world after that Super Bowl. Back-to-back championships. No one's going to beat you. And then a month and a half later, what the hell? Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones, divorce. When right. you, I'll, I'll never forget the footage of Michael Irvin walking in to Valley Ranch that day and just throwing everything around the locker room. When you heard the news, how long did it take you to process? Wait, what just happened? It, it took a it took a good minute. It, it took a real, real good minute to process that because I never could figure out how do you fire a coach after you were one in fifteen. Yeah. And you bring him in to rebuild your program. And you grow it now to back-to-back Super Bowls. You do something that has not been done in the history of the Cowboys organization. There is no rhyme or reason for the departure. And I could not put it together. I could not put it together. And I'm still baffled by it. But here's what I learned years later. Jimmy Johnson and I, are doing a national championship game in, in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona at the Cardinals' new stadium. And we're doing it with Eddie George and this Ohio State versus Florida. On the ride over, I got a chance to ask Jimmy, what in the world happened? And you know what he shared with me? And he shared with me, he said, e, Jerry, Jerry didn't really fire me. He said, I was on my way out. I was burnt out. I had had enough of being the bad guy. Right. Everything went wrong with the team. I had to be the bad guy. I had to step in. And the reason why I stepped in, because I wanted my players to have a good, solid relationship with their coaches. And I had to be the hammer. And I got tired of being the hammer. And I was planning on leaving anyway because we had won back-to-back. And, and I, I don't stay places long. <laughs> and so when he shared it, shared it that way, I had a totally different perspective on it. Going through it, it was unconceivable. It was, it was it impossible. And then not only was it impossible that it happened, but then who you bring in. Because in every way, Barry Switzer, God bless him, love him, awesome, is pretty much the polar opposite of how Jimmy Johnson runs his business. Completely opposite. But here's the thing. And this is why I say football is a great metaphor for life because it teaches you so many different things. In this particular case, you're right. We had we had a, a military commander yeah. in Jimmy Johnson. In Barry Switzer, we had a not a commander, but we had a guy that believed that we were grown men. And there is nothing he can say in five minutes to get us ready to go play the Philadelphia Eagles if we had not prepared all week like we should have. Right. And you're getting paid the dollars that you're getting paid, so you need to become a professional. And so the thing with Barry that I appreciate, he was not there to babysit. We as players had to grow up. 
And we had to mature into who we wanted to be as a professional athlete, not just an athlete, a professional athlete. That means taking on the responsibility of getting yourself prepared to play. Jimmy wanted us to do that, and he he made he ensured that we do it. Barry was one of those guys. He wasn't going to ensure that you do it. You had to do it because you really wanted to do it. And I think that made a difference in terms of guys that wanted to leave a mark on the game and wanted to because uh, some people some people need that. Yeah. But then there's guys that have the, the ambitions beyond the game that don't necessarily need that kind of that kind of management. And so it's a yin and a yang. And, uh, and and so at some point when we lost the NFC Championship game to the 49ers th- that year, right? players took it upon ourselves to not allow that to happen the following year. And therefore, we found ourselves back into the Super Bowl again and winning that game. And it was much more gratifying because we took it upon ourselves to do what Jimmy had already taught us how to do. Okay, you mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles, and I, I didn't know if that was uh, sort of coincidence or whatever, because I think the bottom of it for the Barry Switz era for a lot of Cowboys fans was the game against the Eagles at the vet, fourth and one, on on your game's tied, you know, it's fourth and inches, fourth and inches. So you, it, was a, it was a play to you, basically a dive left, and you didn't get it, but the two-minute warning had happened before – uh, the play ran, so they got a do-over. Barry got a mulligan. He said, hell no, same play, same thing, and they stopped you again. Was, was that the low point of the Barry Switzer era, that that situation? Emotionally, yes. Emotionally, yes. But here's the thing. Barry pulled what Jimmy pulled in the Super Bowl. Yep. I got one of the best runners back in the back. I got this big 700, 800, 7,000 pound offensive line in front. Surely we can get an inch. Surely we can. But unfortunately, our mindset was not right. Two different things. I don't know if we had the same talent and the same sense of urgency during that time. And so that was a challenge also. And so when you're going through transition and everyone is still trying to figure out why a guy is going and why we have Barry Switzer, why Barry is not doing what Jimmy doing. There's a lot of comparison, one great coach to another coach and there's difference in styles. And like I said, sometimes we need people to push us and motivate us to our level of greatness. And that's what Jimmy did. Barry likes saying, you want, you got to want to be great. You got to want to put in the work. You got to want to become a professional. And I cannot say anything to help you do that. You have to want it for yourself. If you yeah. want it for yourself, you would do what it takes to be a winner. Well, you, you certainly did. You, you certainly did. But it felt like the transition hurt Troy more than anyone because, you know, Troy's a guy that, you know, as soon as he gets out of bed, he's making the covers. I mean, he, he's a guy. he's a guy who likes to make sure everything is where it's supposed to be. How bad was it for Troy that you can tell us the, how hard it was to deal with Barry after dealing with Jimmy. Let me just say this. Troy never had to worry about Michael working hard. Troy never had to worry about me working hard. Troy knew that Michael was passionate, Michael was driven, and I was driven. Troy didn't have to worry about Derrick Johnson working hard. And 
even some of the guys on the defense. It's the guys that, that came in after this thing that needed to fill in the gaps when we started losing those players that needed that Jimmy Johnson's push that players could not give them or head coach in Jimmy and Barry Swisher could not give them. And, and that's, that's a distinct difference. And so, yes, it hurt a lot of us because now we were taking on a much more different role because Barry did not do that role. Jimmy would get on somebody's behind. Jimmy would cut somebody was just sleeping in a special teams meeting just to prove a point to everyone else. Right. Barry might give someone else a second and a third chance. You see, it's just a distinct difference. But um, it definitely hurt Troy because Troy took on the burden of being the Jimmy Johnson hammer. The bad cop, basically. The, the bad cop. Yeah. And Barry did not do the bad cop thing well at all. It just wasn't him. Um, and so it fell back onto the opposite. It fell back onto the position coaches to be the bad cop. And Barry was the good cop. Listen, we spent so much time talking about the team. I feel like I'm shorting your time. So I'm going to take a break here because when we come back, I want to talk about your individual career. And while it's a team sport, the Hall of Fame is an individual honor. And we'll get to that right after this. Now it's time for the Surprisingly Great Story sponsored by State Farm. State Farm gets you surprisingly great rates. So when you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back with Emmett Smith for some more surprisingly great stories with a uh, fresh glass so we can finish this thing off right. Look, football's the ultimate team game, Emmett. It's why it's my favorite sport. Because if you don't have 11 guys working together on the same side of the ball, you're not going to do squat. But there is individual success. And I think that people sometimes gloss over the things you were able to accomplish for a variety of reasons. Well, that team was loaded. Well, they had a great offensive line. Okay, fine. All that's true. Here's the list of players that have had 10 straight thousand yard seasons. Emmett Smith, end of list. Oh, by the way, he actually did it 11 straight years. As a competitor, as an individual, how much were you driven by those things as much as being a champion? I was driven to do those things because I wanted to leave my mark on the game. Um, but here's the thing. I want people to understand this. It wasn't a selfish thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to do selfish things within the team concept. And only because I had the capabilities of performing at that level. And, and, and I wanted to do it with the balance of having a great passing attack, a great quarterback, great wide receivers, and all the other components to help and my job as a running back was to help make the line better and yes and I think each and every one of us want to achieve individual success but within the team concept and I did not mind sharing knowledge and wisdom I did not share did not mind taking a break and giving someone else a chance to go in and do it but if I take a break and give you a chance to go in and do it and you don't do your job and you form the football now I feel like I'm responsible for the shortcoming and the success of that offense. And, and so, therefore, even if I was tired, I was not coming out. And, and so throughout the process of learning uh, how to become a professional athlete, it was, it was so important that uh, not only that I be there to help my teammates, 
Uh, I did not want to give them a sense of weakness. I wanted all wanted them always to have confidence that they can rely on me as a running back. And they did. And you carried them a, a long way along those lines to team success. But the individual honor came on October 28, 2002 against Seattle. A lot of people thought Walter Payton's record would never be broken. Uh, 11-yard run against Seattle. By the way, Seattle was chirping. I remember watching that game. Ain't going to happen today. I was like, it's happening today. And you, you break out for an 11-yard run, and that was it. They stopped the game. What was that moment like? It was a surreal moment. It really was because, you know, I never I – di- I didn't know what to do or how to respond uh, because it's in the middle of a football game. <laughs> yeah, still <laughs> playing. How do you celebrate yourself in the middle of a football game <laughs> when it's required that everyone else – but the beautiful thing about it was my teammates, how they all embraced me at the time. Uh, everyone – in that organization knew how important that was to me. Michael, of all people, knew how important it was to me, along with J- James Washington. They both knew before the world even knew what my ultimate goals were. Uh, because I said them in 1990. I told Michael one night before we played the Rams what I wanted to do in the game of football. He laughed in my face. I, James Washington saw my goal sheet before my rookie season in my apartment complex as I was writing down my goals at my kitchen table. And those were the only two that really knew what the mission was for me individually. But I had also many other goals, Super Bowls, uh, uh, not necessarily Hall of Fame, but uh, becoming an All-Pro and leading the league in Russia. I had all these things, team success, all of that stuff was on my goal list. But to get to that point, I knew it was going to take longevity because Walter did it in 13 years. Yep. So I knew I had to play for 13 years to even have a chance. Not just play, 13 solid good years. Yep. So when you talk about 11 straight 1,000-yard seasons, I had to put up numbers like that. And that therefore, I could not make the club if I was in the tub. <laughs> so I had to be available, had to make myself available. So I had to do all the things mentally to prepare myself physically, to prepare myself for longevity, for longevity. And, and I had to do it with all in the team concept. And so it was more about team first and me second. And within it, I knew I had a responsibility of getting, and I wanted to average 125 yards a game. I know how difficult that is to do. Yeah. And people are like, oh, that's nothing. Well, let me just tell you what 125 yards per game looks like. Let me just tell you what 100 yards look like. That's 25 yards per quarter. Right. It sounds simple, but you may only get two or three series in a quarter. Yep. And I may get the ball one or two times per series. So it's not as simple as it as as it as it seems. No, it's never simple. But one of one of my favorite things about that day specifically was that Moose was calling the game. And they let him come out of the broadcast booth to go down there. You want to talk about a guy who sort of epitomized what you've been talking about. I mean, Moose, Moose got three touches a game, but he was going to be that battering ram for you to get that yardage. What did yes. it mean for you to see him come down and be able to come down from the booth to celebrate that moment with you? Well, at the time, I didn't even know he was at the game. I didn't even think about who was calling the game. Um, and if I did, I, I completely forgot. But – 
Uh, I didn't even realize that Michael was there until I was on the sideline. But to have him, here's the hard part about that day. That day is not what I envisioned that day to be. I envisioned Troy Aikman handing me that football. Yeah. I envisioned Daryl Johnson leading me up through the running lane. I envisioned Michael Irvin on that football field. I envisioned Nate Newton and Tournay and all these guys there but they were not there, which is a clear sign that times have changed and we all evolve and we all must adapt to the changing of times. But to have them there in the stadium, to witness that moment meant, a, meant the world because I could not have gotten to that place without those guys. And I'm quick to tell people, nobody becomes successful by themselves. You know, everything that Emmett Smith was able to accomplish in his entire career was not necessarily due to my might. It was due to a lot of people who had poured so much into me and given me the wisdom that I needed at the time when I needed it the most. And each one of those guys did personally sacrifice a piece of their lives for me. Well, listen, one of my favorite Emmett Smith numbers of all time probably doesn't mean as much to you as it does to me, but consistency is key. So, your rookie year, you guys missed the playoffs and you rushed for 937 yards. Yep. Your last year in the NFL, as a member of the Arizona Cardinals, you ran for 937 yards. You came in the same way and you went out the same way, my man. Same way. And, and that is, that is freaking money. And I, I've said this to a lot of people because we have these debates at times. You know, who's the best at this? Who's the best at that? Here's the way I describe Emmett Smith. To me, he's the best running back I ever saw because the game is three things, right? You can run, you can catch, and you can block. And you did all three willingly. People forget you almost ended your career on a blitz pickup against the Bears when the Cowboys were having a crappy season on Monday Night Football. They, they thought you'd broken your neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, that is the hallmark of a great running back. And if anybody, any running back wants to be on the football field, to help their football team become successful, you have to learn how to do all three. I have to learn how to do all three. Um, that's what I tell my son, EJ, right now. I mean, you have to learn how to not only run the rock, but you also have to learn how to block. And you also have to learn how to catch. Well, he has two of the three now. Yeah. Running and catching, he can do. I'm waiting to see Kenny step in there and block and pick up that blitz pickup, knowing that that knowing what's coming. And that, to me, is a hallmark of an all-around great football player. Longevity is the fourth thing that 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 sits in. There. Yep. So, to me, that's where that's where it began. That's where it ended. For me. What does it mean to you now, because of the way the game is played? I think your record may be the most unbreakable record in sports. Nobody's running the ball. I mean, look, God bless Frank Gore. He may play for five more years. I still don't think he's getting there. So what does it mean to you now knowing that the way football is played, yeah, this will probably be my name forever. You know, Trey, to be honest with you, I don't even think about it. I really don't. Uh, I really don't. I just leave it out. It's, it's out there. And the thing that I, I tell people all the time is if a human did it before, a human can do it again. The win, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know because, as you know, this game is very cyclical. 
It goes up and down. As you pass in the day, tomorrow you may end up running because you may run out of passing, throwing quarterbacks around the country. You never know. And you might, there's some kid out there that will be touched with the measure of talent that we have yet to see that may pop up on the scene and do great things that way may push that record to 19,000. I don't know. But right now, as it stands, I'm very proud of what I've been able to accomplish in my uh, NFL career and in my entire career, to be honest with you. And I'm more, more proud of the people that I was able to share it with and be engaged with. Well, listen, uh, on that win, bet the over. Okay, take the over. It's going to be a while. Brother, it is always good to talk to you. I love chopping it up with you. Thanks for being on the show. Take care of yourself, brother. Be well, be strong. Cheers. So that's it for a double dose of Emmett Smith on Half Forgotten History. Our thanks to him. And for his time, we're sending a check to Ronald McDonald House in his name. And thanks to Maker's Mark. Remember to pour yourself into everything you do, just like Emmett did, and reach for a bourbon that's made with a personal touch. In fact, why don't you raise a glass right now and toast these amazing athletes telling us these remarkable stories and how they continue to create so many great memories. And remember, Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. All they ask is that you enjoy it the same way. So that'll do it for this edition of Half Forgotten History. But coming up next week, we stink, as in stink, as in Mark Schlereth will join us.